Hello and welcome back to the lecture series with Reb T, which we try to do in a bi-weekly basis, Blinder. This year where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic is the loyalty of royalty. Sources from Safari, unless noted otherwise, look out for the points to carry over, which if you're following along after we post this online, they're bold, italicized, and underlined. All Shirim are on shirimenjoyment.com slash shirim slash shirim dash reb dash t. Shout out to Jake W. and Ellie N. for all their hard work on Shirim Enjoyment. The lecture series, the PAL, the audio DT, and OT talk show are on different podcast forums. Feel free to email me at rebt at shearenjoyment.com, R-E-B-T. The shear should serve as a chus for the refuah of anyone sick or anyone needing a Yeshua or a refuah. What do you think of when you hear the term royalty? What comes to mind when you picture a royal? You probably think about a king or a queen, maybe a prince or a princess, castles, formal balls and attire, rules, and etc. You might think of the Prince of England or a Grand Duke in some faraway land in a castle tucked away into the woods. You might even think of the kingship and Malchus Lahavdal of our Jewish history past, starting with David and his son extending into Jewish history. I want to challenge and change the notion of what royalty can really mean and how we can truly incorporate the concept into our very lives. All of us in the world, every single Jewish soul on this earth, are what I would call actual royals. Why? How can that be, you might ask? We'll explain. Think about how we relate to Hashem. By definition, we refer often to Hashem as the king of all kings, the only true ruler and being, the one true God, the only true being. What would and what does that make us by definition, by comparison? If we are his sons and daughters, and we are, and we are his chosen nation, which we are, then by very definition we are all princes and princesses, as Hashem is the king of all the land, of all the earth. In fact, the nation of Israel is compared to as his bride or his partner in elevating the world through the gift of the Torah. Thus, we are all born of real royalty. I want to incorporate this notion to challenge us to think how we live our lives if we really do so in a royal and proper fashion. If Lahavdal Prince Harry can't show up to an event without royal attire, Lahavdal, how could we show up to shul or to Shabbos or the like without our royal attire, at least with dressing like a mensch in a modest way? If a prince would never use bad language or derogatory language or speak in such a way when he's in front of the royal presence or dress in such a way or act in such a way, how can we? We are the sons and daughters of the one true king. We must go about as such with all that we do and how we dress, how we talk, how we act and how we behave, which must be in a modest, proper and appropriate manner. We must be Shem Shemayim, making a Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name in the world. We are supposed to be on Mamlachas Kohan and Vigoy Kadosh, a very famous phrase about the Jewish people, a kingship, a kingdom of priests, and a holy, upright nation, bringing and doing good for the world, uplifting the world around us. And it's time we act like the royals that we are, with dignified lives, being loyal to Hashem and the Torah, living wonderful lives full of mitzvos, full of chesed and Torah that is befitting true royalty. 
As we come to Pesach this week, the end of this week coming soon upon us, nowhere is this scene more than the Pesach Seder. Hashem literally took us out of Egypt from intense slavery to be free men and free women, to be a nation of royals serving under the one true King Hashem. In fact, many things at the Seder point out the idea of freedom and acting like royalty. We eat and drink while leaning, indicative of how rulers used to eat and drink in the olden days. Even the Gemara talks about also how leaning during eating was a sign of kingship, royalty, and nobility. Someone is supposed to pour for us the garb, indicative of royalty. The married men wear kittles, a a garb, a, a truly spiritual garb. And the women and children dress in their Shabbos, Yom Tov, royal finest, indicating our status as free people, the children of Hashem. We eat fine foods and delicacies at the Seder, as well as use fancy tablecloths, silverware, and cutlery, unless you get special ones that are disposable. And at the Yom Tov meals, we eat and we we set the table and have wonderful things indicative of royalty, befitting kings, queens, princesses, and princesses. We buy new clothing. It's a special thing. It actually came up a couple of dapim ago in Psachim, which we just finished today. And we're switching over to another Talmud tomorrow, God willing. If you're listening to this right when we did it right here in the late March. But we, we talk about in the Gemara and Psachim, it just came up how it's a big thing to actually get to actually get new clothing, especially for the women, especially for the children in honor of the holiday. Getting the new clothing. We change over the house. We get new food. We get new... The house feels anew, feels a fresh royal status of feeling nice and clean. Even though it's a lot of work getting the house clean, it has a sparkly feel. It makes the house feel more homey to ourselves. We also get new items befitting the royal family in our own home to usher in the special holiday Passover, Pesach, coming this week that make us feel like royals. It is important to note that we should always feel like royals and always act like royals every single day. We need to prove our loyalty to our royalty by properly following in the ways of Hashem through the guidebook of the Torah, doing its mitzvot and chesed, learning Torah, going above and beyond to act and behave in the spirit of the law in a royal fashion. In fact, on H.com, Amuna Braverman, the author, points out in the article there on H.com, don't apologize for being a Jew. You are royalty. We need to realize that I am a son or I am the daughter of the king of the universe, Hashem. And as such, I should definitely straighten my crown. I should wear my crown, the crownship of Torah, Jew, Jewry, the crownship of being an Orthodox Jew. In fact, I shouldn't just straighten it. I should polish it until it shines. We have lost our way. We have forgotten that we are royalty. We have forgotten that we are actual royalty. We have forgotten the responsibility that goes with that, as well as the privilege. We are true princes and princesses, and not just because we had the party at four with the requisite paper plates, cups, and costumes. We need to carry ourselves as such, real princes and real princesses. We need to remember our ancestry. A true son and daughter of royalty walks erect, secure in the confidence that the Heavenly Father Hashem is both beaming down with pride and holding us up. 
He is our support. He is our confidence. He is our rock. It's hard to recognize a royal status in our casual world. The scrutiny lavished on the English duchesses or on the royal duke or the grand duke or the king or the queen is nothing compared to that directed toward the Jewish people. We are under a microscope. Every step, every misstep cataloged. There are those who are eager to pounce, waiting for us to fail. This is all the more reason for us to carry ourselves with dignity and pride, all the more reason to recognize that we are the children of the king and not to allow ourselves to fall victim to the canards in the press. We have nothing to apologize for unless we don't live up to our potential, unless we betray betray our royal roots, God forbid. The Jewish people will never win a popular contest, the, the article goes on, but that's not our goal. Our fortunes wax and wane along with world opinion, but it doesn't really matter. Because as long as we are behaving as we should, as long as we are loyal royals, as long as we, the king of kings is pleased with his subjects, with us, nothing else counts. Our challenge is to continue to rise up despite how those around us behave. To focus on our inner dignity and sense of self despite the external pressures. To enjoy the privilege of being a people who have chosen a deeper relationship with the Almighty, with all its difficulties and struggles and pleasures. Some days and some generations that feeling of being overwhelmed arises more frequently, but we should never forget whose daughter or son we are. We should always place a smile on our faces, straighten our crowns, and keep moving forward. Kind of reminds me of the idea of how we walk about and how we go about at work. Granted, we have to be safe. Granted, we have to go about things in a secure manner. When I think when I worked in very challenging neighborhoods for the Board of Ed, for the DOE, my day job being an OT for the city, I was placed in many different extremely difficult and dangerous neighborhoods, East New York, Bed-Stuy and, and Brownsville and the like. And those are not really great neighborhoods to walk around. So I would wear a kippah outside for safety. But inside the school, I wore the kippah proudly. Inside walking around the school, I didn't apologize. I didn't hide that I'm a religious Jew. I was open about it. I am open about it. All my schools I go to, I wear the kippah, Dafka specifically, to show, look, Mr. T, Mr. Gutterman, you know, Reb T, he is the OT, he is the person in the building. Reb T is walking around the building at work with the kippah, with the yarmulke, Dafka specifically to show that I am walking around at work being an ambassador of Hashem, a prince of Hashem, not hiding, but walking erect, showing that I'm privileged to be of such a people, privileged to be a walking ambassador of Hashem, hopefully showing that we do the sessions and we do our profession and we work in the system as a, as a beacon of honesty and truth and upstanding citizens. Of course, I'm not uh, the most amazing out there, of course, I'm on, on a very tiny level, I'm trying to help out in the system, but we walk around not hiding it. Some people don't wear it at all. Some people hide it under a cap. That's everyone's own decision. My decision was to wear the kippah at work and outside of school for safety, to wear the hat or whatnot. But we should always make sure to straighten our crowns, to be proud of our crowns, not hide it, and keep moving forward. H.com also points out that 
Look at the Torah evaluation of human beings. Every person is created in the image of God. B'Tselem Elohim. Everyone has the divine spark, the Pentelayah, that has to be ignited sometimes. But we all have the image of Hashem. We're all made B'Tselem Elohim. We are all nobility and should view ourselves accordingly. Lowly self-images are based on mistaken notions, and we all have the ability to change those notions if we choose. We should thus dust off our crowns in everyday life and wear them proudly. Wear your kippah proudly at work, I implore you. I do so for myself, and we should all do so if we're able to in the environment that we are. The crown of our kippahs is a crown testifying that there is a God above us, that we have a connection to Him, that we understand and we believe and we know there's a higher being controlling the universe, controlling the world that we are embedded to and we are connected to. Wearing the crowns of our tefillin, which for men, which literally go on the head, which is supposed to be opposite the moach, opposite the, the intellect of the head, and opposite the heart. We put it on the arm, literally directly across the heart. Because we think in our heads about how Hashem is the ruler, and we think we need to feel deeply in our hearts how He is the king, He is the ruler. The tefillin on the head, opposite the moach, tefillin on the arm, opposite the lave. What about the crown of our talus? We should think about wearing the talus proudly, which literally goes over our head. Growing up, I always wanted to wear a talus, but it's not our minog to wear it in our family until we're married. So once we got married and I had a talus, got one for during the week and got one for Shabbos, and I feel very uplifted and spiritual. I feel a little royal on some level wearing that talus. Some people can't wait to get it off. Some people don't like to wear it. I actually like to wear it. And for Shabbos, a lot of times... I'll wear it even longer than just the davening, you know, if we're walking to shul, walking back from shul, especially if we're going to shul and out minute or whatnot across the across the way, which now we're doing. I wear it the whole time. I love wearing that talus. It's a way to feel connected, to be enwrapped, to be enveloped in the mitzvah of the talus. The talus that is supposed to remind us of the 613 mitzvahs because it has sitzes, and sitzes, we know, is the is the gematria of 613, including the eight knots and the including the knots and the strings. So wearing that talus is a way to feel connected to Hashem. It is a royal garment. It literally goes over our head. The tzitzit itself is also a crown. Again, it also adds up to the 613 mitzvahs, including the knots and the strings, and the and the gematria and the trans. The, the 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 mathematical equation of the six hundred plus the thirteen, the eight and the five. The crown of the shaitel and the tichel. A lot of times people don't want to cover the hair. They find it difficult. They find it tedious. They find it, you know, suffocating sometimes. But if we take a step back, of course, I'm not a woman. I don't wear one. I don't have to. But if we take back and we look at the idea that it is a royal garment, it is our way to be noble and to be modest and to dress in an orthodox Jewish way, how wonderful it is to be able to bring such a thing. The crown of our dress, the crown of our deeds, the crown of our acts, and the crown of our ways of life. Cling to this life tightly. Embrace this life tightly. Show the world you're loyal and you're proud of being a true Torah royal. Look at this story from H.com called Finding an Heir to the Throne, told by Tully Flint. Amazing story. Really a parable. In another time and in another land, there was a wise and benevolent king and queen. The kingdom prospered under their enlightened rule. But there was a problem. 
as the royal couple reached old age, they had no heirs. Yes, the queen said, I can see this is a problem. We don't want to leave a legacy of battles over who will ascend to the throne. We don't want the kingdom we have worked so hard to build to be torn apart after we pass on. So, what did they do? The king and queen came up with a plan. They asked their advisors to call together all of the children from all corners of the kingdom. Within a month, the gathering took place. All of the children of the kingdom, ages 8 to 16, gathered in the courtyard of the palace. They cheered when the king and queen appeared. A servant followed the royal couple as they made their way through the crowd. The servant carried a huge basket. From the basket, each child drew a small bag of seeds. Each of you should go home and plant the seeds you drew from the basket, the king proclaimed. In three months, we will tour the kingdom. The child who plants these seeds, who grows the nicest and most creative flower garden with these seeds, will be our heir. Not everyone was pleased with the royal couple's plan. After all, they expected the heir to be a wise and trustworthy leader, a person with a vision, not a gardener. But... Out of respect for the king and queen, they acquiesced. Each child took the seeds and tried to be as creative as they could with their gardens. One grew flowers in the bathtub. The other planted the seeds in an old shoe. Someone else grew flowers in an old coat. All of the finalists grew beautiful flowers, all except for one small girl. People laughed when the girl applied to be considered as one of the finalists, no matter how hard she had tried Nothing at all grew from her seeds. She changed the earth, watered the seeds, and added fertilizer, but it was all for naught. When asked to explain her apparent lack of success and why she thought she deserved to be considered as heir to the throne, the girl said, Your Highness, Your Highnesses, I have tried everything and talked with everyone who could teach anything about growing flowers. I thought of finding other seeds, but your orders were explicit to grow what we could using the seeds from the bag. I have a second garden which grew beautifully with other seeds, but no matter how hard I tried, your highnesses, nothing at all grew from the royal seeds. The royal couple smiled at her explanation. They chose her as their heir over children who had grown beautiful and elaborate floral displays. There was, of course, a great uproar when the royal couple announced their choice. It was outrageous enough that the king and queen wanted a child who was capable of gardening rather than leading or governing. But why would the royal couple choose the very worst gardener in the kingdom, the one who could grow nothing at all from the royal seeds? The king and queen explained their plan. This wasn't a test of gardening, they explained. It was a test of character. All of the seeds in the royal basket were boiled before they were given to the children. None of them were capable of growing flowers. Clearly, only one small girl had the courage to play by the rules, to tell the truth, and keep bringing people together and learning, despite her frustration. She is showing you what she's made of and why she's worthy of being your next queen. Maram Klein on Aish explains on the story that one definition of courage is Omid's leave, which literally translates as strength of heart. 
All made slaves starts with individual conviction that there is a better way, but it doesn't stop there. With All Might Slave, you play to win by bringing others with you and encouraging them to take their game to a higher level. You draw others in, rather than pushing them out of the way. You earn a mandate to experiment and take initiative rather than sneaking around and being deceptive. If the seeds you are given don't take root and sprout, you'll face a moment of truth. The choice is yours. One choice, of course, is to make do with the barren garden and excuse your lack of productivity by saying, I just followed orders. You can become indignant ind- indignant at the king and queen by suspecting that they've set you up to fail. You can become angry and upset at the king and queen. Or, if you choose the path of courage, you also have a choice. You can choose chutzpah like the prospective heirs that the king and queen rejected, or you can choose real all-made slave by earning a mandate to take initiative and become a thought leader for the rest of your organization and bring others with you. Growing flowers wasn't the quality that the king and queen sought after all. Courage, the all-made slave variety of courage was. In the end, it wasn't the child who grew the most bountiful bed of flowers, but the child who demonstrated candor, purpose, will, rigor, and risk. H.com also points out that the Dubner Magid offered a parable. A king owned a magnificent diamond which accidentally sustained a deep scratch. The royal diamond cutter said no amount of polishing would remove the flaw entirely, but one expert volunteered. I can rectify the flaw in a manner that will render the diamond more valuable than before. The king told him to go ahead, and with great skill he engraved rose petals on the diamond. The deep scratch served as the stem of the flower. Similarly, said the Dubner Magad, a person can transform negative traits into virtues. With creativity, you can use your mistakes and faults in a way that will gain you more than you would have otherwise. Hashem, of course, is the king. He gives us life and makes us into royals. He chooses us to be his spiritual heirs to bring life to this world. And we are the biological heirs as well to fix and help the world. Hashem gives us seeds. He gives us ideas, capabilities, talents. What are we going to do with them? He gives us fertilizer and life for ourselves and everything around us with the breath of the Torah. How will we use it to plant those seeds? He gives us the abilities to live royally with finding proper clothing, using proper speech, engaging in proper actions, doing mitzvahs and a lot of chesed. We must stand up and be loyal to Hashem, the only true good royal, every single day. Take your seeds of your life that you were given by Hashem and plant them in the right way. Take the dirt off of your own diamonds and create them or shine them anew in your own life. We recently had Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is pointed out by Rabbi Broker of H.com as the beginning of the year for kings, as clearly pointed out by Rosh Hashanah to Egg in Talmud Rosh Hashanah. The Mishnah says there are four days in the year that will serve as the new year, each for a different purpose. On the first of Nisan is the new year for kings. It is from this date that the years of a king's rule are counted. 
And the first of Nisan is also the new year for the order of the festivals, as it determines which is considered the first festival of the year and which is the last. We ourselves are the children of the one king, and hence it is the beginning for us as well. This is when we were redeemed. This is when we were freed. This is when we were made into a real nation. We were let out in Nisan, and we count the year from that event in terms of holidays. Think of the Pasuk that we mentioned earlier, the phrase that we mentioned earlier that comes up in Shemos in Yudtet Pasuk Vav. Ve'atem tihiyuli mamleches kohanim v'goy kadosh. But you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The words that you speak to, to the Bnei Yisrael. Rabbeinu Bachio or Bachaya points out on this Pasit, Be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The plain meaning of these words is that you will be my share. God calls the Jewish people kings, priests, and a holy nation at the time they received the Torah in order to make clear that he who wears the Keter Torah, the crown of Torah, also has attained the stature of the other two crowns, priesthood and royalty. That's what it means in Mishlei about having Torah is more precious than rubies. The crown of Torah includes the other two crowns. It is more precious than rubies. The crown of Torah is even superior to that of priesthood because we are meant to be a royal nation, every single one of us, loyal to the mission of the Torah, loyal to the one true royal, that of Hashem. The Gemara points out in Baba Metziah 113b, the Amr Abai Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi Shmal Rabbi Akiva Kul Husvira Lahum Kol Yisrael b'nei Malachim Haim. The Gemara says, if it enters your mind that Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel maintains his reasoning, there is nothing that is unfit for him. As Abaye said, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel and Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Kiva all hold that all Israel, not some, not a minority, not only nobility or the royal line, the bloodline, all Israel are the children of kings. Call Yisrael b'nei Malachim. Not just David and his family or Shaul and his family. Not just the royal line, all of Israel are the children of kings. A Jew is never deemed unfit to use a certain item, even if it's a luxury item. All of Jewish people are fit for a cloak. One's clothing is not sold to pay a debt. All Jews are worthy, are worthy of wearing the finest garments. All Jews are sons and daughters of kings. Shabbat also points out in 111a, Rabbi Shimon Omer, call Yisrael b'nei Malachim him. The same phrase. Rabbi Shimon says all the Jewish people are princes. It's permitted for them to use a special oil on Shabbat. We are all princes and princesses coming from the King Hashem. We should dress in the finest clothing on Shabbat and Yom Tov especially. But even a nice, well-kept, modest clothing during the week as bespokes our status as royalty. We should take care to maintain our appearance in being kempt with cleanliness and hygiene as it relates to our royal status. We should upkeep our houses, our cars, and our items not to show off and not to be grandiose, but to keep them in line that helps us upkeep our royal status and use them to help us do mitzvahs and Torah and chesed to do what our royal status asks and have the proper self-esteem to realize how important each one of us are as loyal royals in the house of Hashem. When we think about what we can do as royals in our own kingdom here on earth with Hashem as the king, it can bring to mind a famous book 
Lahavdil called the Phantom Tollbooth, which I read as a kid, and whose author, Norton Juster, a Jew, recently passed away. Dr. Yvette Miller explains on the book, on H.com, that the book talks about how there was once a boy named Milo, or Milo, who didn't know what to do with himself. Not just sometimes, but always. The Phantom Tollbooth begins... Nothing seems important to Milo or Milo, and nothing interests him in words that many of us will probably recognize from moments of frustration and hopelessness in our own lives. Milo notes it seemed a great wonder that the world, which was so large, could sometimes feel so small and empty. Milo comes home one day to find that a mysterious stranger has left him a magical toy a phantom tollbooth that transports him to a wondrous world that is in desperate need of saving. Milo goes on thrilling adventures which often involve clever wordplay and puns, picks up two helpers, and eventually restores two wise princesses named Rhyme and Reason, princesses, to their positions mediating disputes, banishing ignorance, and once more bringing peace and happiness to the realm. One lesson to learn from Norton Juster's The The Phantom Tolbooth is that, as expressed in the book, when they began to count all the time that was available, what with 60 seconds in a minute, and 60 minutes in an hour, and 24 hours in a day, and 365 days in a year, it seemed as if there was much more than could ever be used. If there's so much of it, it couldn't be very valuable was the general opinion, and it soon fell into disrepute. People wasted it, and people even gave it away. Too often, life can seem to be a series of days to get through. A whole world of entertainment exists to help us pass the time. One of the biggest phrases that I really hate, my wife and I really hate hearing the phrase, killing time. What does that even mean? Killing time. That's not a phrase that we should ever use. That's not a good phrase to use. That's not a good phrase that has any Judaic standing. It's not the Jewish way. Killing time. Time is the most precious commodity. You'll never get it back. You could always be early, but you can never make up time. I, I, grew, I, I grew up hearing. You, you never can make up that time. After 120 years, nobody ever asked or ever wanted to have another house, another car. They always said, I wish I had more time. I wish I did more with my life. I wish I did more with my days. I wish I did more with my hours and my minutes. That's why by a lot of the Avos, it says, Yemei Shanei Chayav. You know, the days of the life of the years. Why does it say days in life? And why does it say years? Why not just say the years of his life? Why use both terms? To teach, I forget which commentator points out, to teach that not only did they use the years of their life, they used the days of their life. Every day went by without being wasted. Maybe Rashi points it out. Every day was utilized. Every hour, every minute was utilized to do great things, to be involved in great things. There should be no such thing as killing time. Time is a wonderful commodity, but a wonderful, valuable thing that is very limited. When they have X amount of hours in the day, what do you do with your hours? 
what do you do with your time? That's why I always say anything you have in life, any idea, any creation, any invention, you must pursue it. The five shows I had in mind, I had to pursue it with the things to Hashem. The Jewish children kids book, I had to pursue it with the things of Hashem. Working on private smicha, I had to pursue it with things to Hashem. And working on writing all my songs over the year with the guitar, I had to pursue it. Anything that comes to mind, I have to pursue, have to go through it, have to use it. Otherwise, it's going to be lost. Anything that comes to your mind, you have to pursue it. You have to do it. We only have so much time. We're given time in this kingdom, in this life, time to use in a royal fashion, in a loyal fashion. Use it wisely. Don't use it in a time to kill it, God forbid. Don't kill the most precious, valuable commodity, that of time. We each have a unique mission in life that we are charged with accomplishing. In the Phantom Tollbooth, Milo has to save the kingdom of the book. In real life, we each have to find our own purpose our own missions to accomplish. Time isn't something to kill, God forbid. Time isn't something to take for granted. It's a finite resource that we dare not waste. In a sense, we're all like Milo, trapped in a cycle of mindless, unimportant jobs, we may think, neglecting the much more important purposes and tasks that we really have to do. The best would, to have a, to, would, the best would be to have a job that is in line with your passion, which is in line with helping to fix the world to do good things. That would be wonderful if it all come in tandem. If you're able to work and do something that helps others to make the world a little better, that would be great. I love OT, occupational therapy, because I'm able to help kids, able to work with kids on different skills that they need in the school, often handwriting and cutting, following steps and directions, giving them a little outlet to go about tasks and a fun way to help kids to work with kids. Got to do what you love. You got to love what you do and do what you love. And it should be in line with whatever passions and loves and ideas you have in this world. I always say if someone loves trains, why is he working as an accountant? You know, if someone loves to help animals and people along the way, why is he working with numbers? It doesn't make any sense. It's not where you should be. Money comes and goes, but real happiness, real memories, helping the world and helping your spouse and your kids, that's what really stays. That's what really matters. Don't waste your time on jobs that doesn't equal your passion and your love in life. It doesn't make sense. You know, money comes and goes. Hashem will get you the money if you're following the path that He wants for you. Hashem will get you on the way. He determines at Rosh Hashanah how much you're going to make. So yeah, there's thousands of places I could work as an OT, but I feel very strongly to work in the city, to work for the city with their wonderful hours, helping kids in the public school system. I feel like that's where I should be, and Hashem will get us the money. Hashem will get it to us if we truly believe it. And we do our best to follow the mitzvahs, to follow the Torah, being a true, loyal, royal, Hashem will get it to us. you got to follow what your passion is, what your goal is, what you want to do. If you really love something, then find a way to make a job out of it. Find a way to make a living out of it, and then you'll never work a day in your life. Because the famous phrase goes, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Who wouldn't, want, who wouldn't love the privilege of not having to work? Who wouldn't love the privilege of having to come every day and do something that they love, and it doesn't feel like work, and it feels like you're doing something you love? What a great feeling. What a great accomplishment. We could all have that. If we find what we love to do and we find how we could link it to a profession and we make it into something we really love. I always say, if I could choose anything, not have to worry about money or time, I would figure out how to be on the radio. I love radio. I love using the voice to try to help. 
That's why we do the podcast as a stepping stone. Hopefully one day to be live radio. But we got to do what we love. We got to do what we can to really utilize our time. You really get the time to be used in the right way and not waste it. In a sense, we're all like Milo, finding out what we have to do in order to help the kingdom around us. We each have a tool to help us. Milo has a magic staff to aid him. We have the timeless Jewish wisdom, the staff of the different crown aspects of our life, the talit, the tefillin, the tzitzit, the shetul or the techel, or whatever aspect we have in order, the siddur, the different aspects we have in our lives, our staffs, our crowns to aid us in our lives of being a true, loyal Torah Jew. When Jewish leaders faced long work days, they nevertheless made time to focus on learning Torah and remembering what is important in life, even when it was difficult to carve out the time. Rashi, one of the greatest Jewish sages, was a busy winemaker whose days were consumed with business, yet he still found the time to write reams of inspired works. Rambam, another major Jewish thinker, was a really busy physician employed by a royal court, and he himself describes how to do your life you know, eight hours of sleep and eight hours of work and eight hours for everything else, breaking up the day. His letters describe how exhausted he was, how he hardly ever had a moment to himself. Yet he used those precious minutes to study and write some of the most important Jewish books ever. We are all here to help the Jewish kingdom of Hashem, not even Jewish, but in general, the kingdom of Hashem, to be metak in olam, to fix the world. We all have to use our friends, rhyme and reason, to make a difference in a sensical and practical way, using our talents, our abilities, and our capabilities without forgetting or losing sight that we are of royalty. We must be loyal to our true royal roots, enhancing the kingdom of Hashem on this earth every chance we get. Don't waste the time here. Don't forget the purpose here. Act and behave like a true Loyal, royal in how we dress, how we behave, how we go about life. Remember why we were freed from Egypt as Passover comes upon us. Use our true freedom to be true loyal and true royal to change the world around us for the better every single day. And look at some of these other fascinating sources. Yirmiyahu points out, Who would not revere you, O king of the nations? For that is your due. Since among all the wise of the nations, among their royalty, there is none like you. Literally, Hashem is the royal, the true royal that we need to be loyal to. Perkeavos points out, my favorite sefer, Dalad Yud Gimel, there are three crowns, Rabbi Shimon said, the crown of Torah, the crown of priesthood, the crown of royalty, the crown of good name supersedes them all, but all crowns, all royal aspects of our life, and Torah is even better than priesthood and royalty because it comes with that. And Perkeavos points out in Vav Aleph, the sages taught in the language of the Mishnah, Rabbi Meir said, whoever occupies himself with Torah for its own sake merits many things and it bestows upon him royalty and many other things. It magnifies him and exalts him over everything. Pergavus points on the next Mishnah in Vav Bet. Rabbi Yishul Levi says, Every day a baskel goes forth from Mount Chorah, from Harsinai, where the Torah was given, and makes a proclamation and says, Woe unto humankind for their contempt towards the Torah. Whoever doesn't occupy himself with the study of Torah is called Nazuf, rebuked, as it says, like a golden ring in the snout of a pig is a beautiful woman, bereft of sense, from Mishlei. And it says, The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tablets. Harut, We had a whole audio DT about this a few weeks ago. Real freedom. 
real freedom. So it says in the Pasuk, they were graven upon the tablets, but they used the word harut. Why does it say harut? Because read not harut, Perkevos points out, not graven, but harut, harut, freedom. Not harut, but harut. The wonderful thing about Torah, many wonderful things, but one of the interesting, wonderful things about Torah, there's no nekudot. There's no vowels. So you take the letters and you could switch it around to have different vowels, change around the whole meaning of a Hebrew word, which is fascinating. Not charut, chet resh vav taf, but charut, chet resh vav taf, putting in the che or the yud to make it into freedom. For there's no free man, but one that occupies himself with the study of Torah. Whoever regularly occupies himself with the study of Torah, he is surely exalted. He is surely royalty, as it says, from Matanan to Nachliel, and from Nachliel to Bamot, from Bamidbar. And the Mishnah of us also says, in Vavav, greater is learning Torah than the priesthood and then royalty. For royalty is acquired by 30 stages, the priesthood by 24, but the Torah by 48 things. And that's the first point to carry over. Studying Torah gives us true royalty. And we are really free when doing Hashem's work. In fact, in the Haggadah, which is coming up very soon, it says in the Halal, the second half, it says the righteous who do thy will, and thy people, the house of Israel, joyfully praise, bless, Lord, glorify, exalt, reverence, declare holy and ascribe royalty to thy name, our King. The Gemara Brachos points out in the 58a, Rabbi Shela praised God for saving him from danger. God, you is the greatest power, glory, trump, and majesty for all the heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O God. You're exalted as head above all. That comes from Jeremiah and Aleph. And they asked him, what did you say? He told them, this is what I said. Blessed is God who grants kingdom on earth. Kingdom on earth. That is a microcosm of the kingdom in heaven. And granted you dominion and love of justice. Look at this story from Shabbat 31a, the Gemara. There was another incident involving a Gentile who was passing behind the study hall and heard the voice of a teacher who was teaching Torah to his students and saying the verse, These are the garments which they shall make, the breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a mitter and a girdle from Shemot. The Gentile, the guy said, These garments, for whom are they designated? The student said to him, For the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. The guy said to himself, the Gentile said to himself, I will go and convert so that they will install me as high priest, as the Kohen Gadol. He came before Shammai, the famous Shammai in Hillel. He said to him, convert me on condition that you install me as high priest. Another story also happens that Shammai, they said, convert me on the condition I'll stand on one foot. There also Shammai pushed him away with the builder's cubit in his hand, not for now, but different teaching styles about the, the cubit pushing away. And Hillel, on the other hand, brings him in. Not for now, but different types of teaching styles. Very interesting. He came before Hillel. What did Hillel do? Hillel converted him. Hillel said to him, to the convert, Is it not the way of the world that only one who knows the protocols of royalty is appointed king? Go and learn the royal protocols by engaging in Torah study. He went and he read the Torah. When he reached the verse which says, The common man that draws near shall be put to death, the convert said to Hillel, With regard to whom is the verse speaking? Hillel said to him, even with guard to David, king of Israel. The convert reasoned an inference. He said, if the Jewish people are called God's children due to the love that God loved them, he called them Israel as my son, my firstborn from Shemot. Nevertheless, it is written about them, the common shall draw near them, be put to death, a mere convert who came without merit. Nothing more than a staff and traveling bag, all the more so it applies to him as well. Basically, the point being, realize Hashem 
is the king. Realize whose kingdom it is. Realize we are the princes in the royal court. And the point mainly is, as we are Hashem's children and He is the king, we are princes and princesses, so we need to make sure to follow the Torah to act in a true loyal and royal fashion. Rashi points out in Shemos, when it says he made them houses, when it's talking about Shifra and Pua, who we know as Miram and Yocheved, who are the the uh, the maidservants, the 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 basically the the midwives helping the Jewish people give birth, which of course comes up in the Haggadah also coming up this week. Vayaslahem Batim. What did it mean that as a reward for their wonderful deed that they didn't throw away the babies, that they helped the Jewish people give birth and they didn't give them over to Paro? Vayaslahem Batim. Hashem made them houses. What does that mean that He made them houses? So Rashi points out houses, dynasties of the priesthood, and the Levites and of royalty, which are all termed batim, houses, as it says in Malachim, Shlomo built the house of the Lord of of Hashem, and the house of the king, the house of the Lord, a dynasty of priests and Levites, from Yocheved, who was Shifra, and the house of the king, a royal dynasty from Miriam, who was Pua. Why were they called Shifra and Pua? Because they beautified the child, Shifra, I forget what Rashi says, but beautified the child, and that they comforted and tried to calm down the the child with Pupupu, trying to make them nice and calm, which I think was Miriam's job. But anyway, their names, Shifra and Pua, of course, Yochavid and Miriam. The Gemara also points out in Sota, related to the making them houses, the verse relates the, the midwives' reward. Came to pass because the midwives feared God, he made them houses. Rav and Shmuel disagree as to the precise interpretation of these houses. One says that God made the houses of the priesthood and the Levites assigned it from the midwives, and one said that God made the houses of royalty descend from them. The one who says it's referring to the house of the priesthood and the Levites referred to Moshe and Aaron, who are the sons of Elchavid. And the one who says it's referring to the house of royalty is referring to David, who also comes from Miriam. Interesting what it means, the house of royalty, the house of priesthood, the house of Levites, coming from the fact that we observe the Torah, we that they listen to the Torah, they listen to Hashem, they were zochah to have the royalty, the priesthood come from them. So when we listen to the Torah, Royalty can come about by being loyal to the Torah, being loyal to Hashem. That's where the real royalty comes about. And that's another point to carry over. The truly important houses come from those who sacrifice for Torah. These are the enduring ones and the prerequisite through the lens of Torah that lead to real loyal royalty. The Gemara points out in Harayas 13a, the sages taught in the bright stuff. One is father and his teacher in captivity. His release precedes his teachers because one's own life takes precedence. Chayecha kodim, your life first. And his teacher's release precedes his father's release. His mother's release precedes the release of all of them. But a Torah scholar precedes the king of Israel. Because in the case of a sage who dies, we have no one like him. But in the case of a king of Israel who dies, all of Israel are fit for royalty. Kol Yisrael All of Israel are fit for royalty. Rabbeinu Hanana points out in Shemos, when the Torah describes the, tab- the table in the tabernacle with gold, it illustrates that the function of royalty was primarily to make a great impression on the outside world. The Das Kenan points out in, in, in Bereshis, in Vayachi, my favorite parsha, my Bar Mitzvah parsha, when it talks about Yehuda, Yehuda, tell Yehuda, your brothers will agree to your becoming king. We find the prediction coming true by King David. Interestingly, Gematrium, the numerical value of the letters in the word Yehuda equals 30. 
corresponding to the 30 qualities required of a person who is fit to become royalty, as pointed out in the Mishnah we talked about earlier in Pirkei Avos. And Yehuda's also talked about as a, a lion, Kor Arye Yehuda, the king of the beasts, it's a hint that David in due course would be descended from him. The numerical value of the first letters in the three words, Kor Arye Yehuda, is the same as that of the three letters in the name, Miteraf B'nai Elisa, also in that Pasuk 14 for David. You removed yourself from the kill my son and the prophecy that David eventually becomes the king of all of Israel based on the skills he'll demonstrate in overtaking attacks upon him by a bear and a lion and being prevail, prevailing in those encounters. Fascinating. The Torah Aruch points out in Shemos, Nachmanides, the Ramban writes that this means by wearing, when he says the covetous suffers for glory and splendor, by wearing the garments described for with the wearer would enjoy glory and splendor in the eyes of those who saw him wearing the garments. The garments were the type worn by royalty. Already when Yaakov had a tunic for Yosef, it was meant to distinguish him as a garment. The me'il, the robe of the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol, was a garment worn only for royalty. Those were serving in the royalty of the base of Migdash and the Mishkan for Hashem. Rabbeinu Bachir points out in Shemos, or Bahaya, the crown of priesthood, as well as the crown of royalty, is acquired by its wearer at birth through inheritance. The table itself was a symbol of the crown of royalty, the altar was a symbol of the crown of priesthood, but the crown of the priesthood and royalty is acquired by birth through inheritance. The crown of Torah is not acquired by birth. Hereditary royalty in Israel was the exclusive right of kings, but all of us can get the, the real royalty by following the Torah, following the mitzvahs, and following the chesed. And Rabbeinu Bachian points out, Bachaya also points out, the garments he was to wear were typical of royal garments, as we know from a number of verses where they're associated with royalty. And that's another point to carry over. Any one of us can feel majestic and royal by following the Torah ways, with utilizing the royal garments, such as that of the Talit Katan, or the Talit Gadol, the Tzitzit, the Tfilin, the Kippah, the Sheto, the Techel, with dressing and acting in the proper and modest ways. Rabbeinu Bachia points out elsewhere in Shemos, when we talk about the table, it's with gold, illustrates the function of royalty is for that great impression on the world. And he points out in Bamidbar that crowns are worn by royalty, people in authority. And Nazir is called that because he's like a king and that he rules over his Yetzirah, he rules over his desires, unlike the majority of mankind who are slaves to it. The Sforo points out in Beratius, seeing he had remained pure and resisted temptation, became crowned with the crown of royalty among his brothers for Yosef. And that's another point. Royalty means wearing a crown over your evil inclination, fighting and lording over it. The Zevach Pesach points out on Pesach Haggadah and Magid by the four questions. The questioner sees that on this night we do certain things that make us look like free people, royalty, worldly counselors, and wealthy nobles. It makes us look like free people and noblemen, since like nobles we eat our foods with all types of dips, like the fine foods on the wealthy. And all of the nights we sit or lean, but this night we lean makes us appear as free people since all of us, young and old, eat while leaning with great honor. On this night, then, we have two things that symbolize freedom, dipping and leaning. The Manashtana brings two witnesses to show about freedom. And it talks about how we do things at the Seder and how we do things on Pesach in life that shows that we really are royalty. That Marachat Heidenheim on the Pesach Haggadah point out on Kaddish, that the reason for leaning is that this is the manner of freedom, it was the manner of royalty to lean. It means to cause to lie down in the way of royalty who recline in their couches. And that's another point to carry over. Royalty can be seen in how we act, how we treat others, and how we treat even the items or things in our lives. Shnei L'chot points out in Torah Shabbat Tav in Vayeshev, Mikitz Vayigash, Torah Or, 
The crown of Torah should be paired with the other two crowns, namely the crown of royalty and the crown of kahuna. But there's a need for the Keter Malchus, the crown of royalty, in order to infuse people with respect for God's law, being encouraged to be diligent in observing the Torah statutes. The Marbella Sabra points out in the Pesach Haggadah and Magid, Halach Ma'anyam, the people felt like royalty and joyously celebrated even in Bavel. Even in Babylonia, they opened their homes in great joy and generosity to celebrate this occasion, which is another point to carry over. We should always take great pride in our way of life, in our culture, in our religion, in all aspects of Torah life. Feel proud to be a Jew. Wear that kippah. Wear the Jewish symbols of Jewish pride in a safe way, obviously. And be proud to be a loyal royal of Hashem. The Kedush HaSlevi points out in Shemot in Yisrael, the Talmud reveals that God's people comprise people of the stature of royalty, people who are able by the very nature to overturn evil decrees made by Hashem in heaven, turn the effect into blessings. And the Ma'arach at Heidenheim point out in the Pesach Haggadah in Orchatz, you should appear like royalty for all Israel is obligated to participate in the Seder and appear like royalty. And he also points out in Magin Halach Ma'anya, we show that we left Egypt like royalty on this night on the journey to freedom. Just as royalty uses the finest utensils befits a king, so we do the same at the commemoration of the Exodus and the Seder. You too, the point to remember, can ensure your own house is a mini palace and how you take care of the family, the house and the surroundings in line with the Torah way. And the Merach and Hainan points out in Magen Halachmani, also the Passover sacrifices the food of royalty who always ate their meat roasted. We say all who are needy should come and observe the Passover and come in Balf. We should indulge a needy person, give them the best of the best, such as roasted meat as the custom of royalty. And that's another point to remember. Loyalty with royalty with loyalty is not only thinking about ourselves, but taking care of those less fortunate, those who are poor, those who are needy, especially at a grandiose event such as the Seder. And he also points out in, in Magid, in the four questions, through these practices we show that first we were needy slaves to Paro, later not only became free, we became royalty, as reflected in the practices of dipping and leaning. God took us out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and elevated us to royalty. As it says, B'ni B'chori Yisrael, Israel is my firstborn son. And he points out in Magid, also, we perform customs to show our royalty on this night, the dipping, the drinking, the four cups, leaning and rejoicing. And he also says, lastly, on the Pesach Haggadah and Magin, the three things that the order of the story of the Torah is, is the order of the story in Egypt. The first, the lives of the Israelites were made bitter, and only then did they eat the matzah and the Passover offering before leaving Egypt. The Passover offering is the food of royalty. It reminds the Israelites that they are the children of royalty. On Pesach night, on the Passover night, every Jew must behave like royalty, with rejoicing, with fine food. We should remember that God lifts us up from the dung heap and makes us royalty. We should remember the point being where real royalty comes from. Only be true, truly loyal to the one who is the true king, that of Hashem. When we walk around... When we're involved in our days, when we're involved in our actions, we should feel truly uplifted. We should feel truly blessed to be living in such a life. We should be proud of our heritage. Why is it, lahabdil, lahabdil, a Muslim can go around and feel no embarrassment, praying 5,000 times a day, five times a day on the on the kapuka or whatever the, the blanket is called and spreads it out in the middle of JFK or in the middle of Times Square and does his business and is not 
worried, it is not embarrassed. But us, if we need to daven, how many of us will hide or cringe or try to go behind a ledge in a corner to catch mincha before zman, before we lose the time? How many of us like try to put our hood over our tefillin, over our talis in the airport if we're waiting for a plane because we're so embarrassed? How many of us will try to to hide our Talmud or our, our Chumash or whatever behind Lahavda Lahavda, a secular book, because we're embarrassed to read it in public, we're embarrassed to be involved in public. Why is that? Where is the fine element of royalty? Where is the having pride and respect for our own culture, our own way of life? Where is the 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 passion and the strength and the fortitude to be proud of our heritage, to be proud of ourselves. We need to start it right now. We need to feel royalty, truly loyal, truly royal. If Lahavza Prince Harry can walk around or where whatever, whichever prince or duke or, or king or whatever can walk around in their finest, they're not embarrassed. They're accorded honor by doing so. But we Lahavda, when we wear our royal garments, we're involved in our royal mitzvahs, we're involved in a royal life, we feel truly embarrassed. Why is that? It shouldn't be like that. The the non-Jewish kings and queens, the non-Jewish dukes and princes and princes, princesses have nothing on us. So they have a couple of buttons, they have a couple of medals, they have a special hat or a special cane or walking stick, and they have special garb, different colors, and that's, whoa, that's so crazy beautiful. We have the quintessential beautiful royal garments, again, for the woman, the sheitel and the tichel, and, and how Hashem wants them to dress, and for us, for men, we have the, the tefillin, the beautiful tefillin, which are literally a testament to Hashem, where we, we have these beautiful beautiful pieces of Judaic lore that have been around for thousands of years thanks to the vision of what Hashem wanted to see and even Hashem Kiviyachal wears it when talking to Moshe after the sin of the of the golden calf and Moshe wants to see Hashem's glory Moshe says to Hashem and Hashem says you cannot see my face but you can see my back and what is, it, what is Rashi? I believe the commentators point out that they see the back of Hashem's tefillin, whatever that means. Hashem himself is wearing tefillin. What greater stamp of approval is there to wear tefillin than Hashem himself wearing it? If Hashem could wear halavai, we should be wearing it. And Hashem probably also has some sort of a talus. The talus really is a beautiful garment. really is a wonderful garment. It doesn't have to be the same as everyone else's. You know, nowhere does it say it has to be black pinstripes, three inches apart, every single person having the same one. My personal one during the week is blue, reminds me of the sea, reminds me of the heaven Shemayim, and also is a testament to the one my dad had. But in general, it reminds us of thinking about the idea of where the mitzvahs come from. Why do you think there was techelas? Techelas was dafka blue, or a sort of teal turquoise color, in order to be reminiscent of the sea, to be reminiscent of the the sea which reflects the heavens where Hashem is, to remind us always to look up to Hashem to be thinking about Hashem, to be loyal to Hashem. So my talus is blue during the week, and during Shabbat we found this beautiful talus many years ago, like grayish, silverish, also very pretty, very royal, very elegant. We should wear the garments be involved in the garments. They should feel as they are real royalty. We should feel proud in our heritage, proud of our tefillin, proud of our talus, proud of our tzitzit. Not feel embarrassed when we go to the airport, which has happened to me, myself, and people in general, on Sukkot, you know, at the airport or bus terminal, you go around slugging your lulav, it feels very awkward and cumbersome and you feel like everyone's looking at you. But why? We shouldn't be embarrassed of our mitzvahs, we shouldn't be embarrassed of our 
things that were involved in things that are Tashmishi mitzvah and, and elements of mitzvah, carrying on the esrog and the luluf should be a, a, a testament to royalty. should be a testament to walking around. And if you're driving around, you're going through the borders, going in the airport, and you have your shaitel head, don't be embarrassed. This is your testament to your royalty of loyalty of being involved in Judaism. They might think it's strange. They might look at it strange. People have looked at my tefillah and they think it's strange. But don't let it stop you from feeling proud, upright, of your heritage, our heritage, of being involved in the Torah, being involved in the Torah life, and involved in the mitzvahs and chesed. If lahavdal, people in other ways of life, other religions can be proud of their, of their ways of life. We, who live the life that's truly true, that's the only true way with the one true King Hashem, we should be so much more prideful and be involved and, and happy and and stand up for the honor and the dignity of our true way of life, that being the Jewish wonderful way of life. Thank you for joining us. We're going to go over the points to carry over just to sum up. Studying Torah gives us true royalty, and we are really free when doing Hashem's work. As we are Hashem's children and He is the King, we are princes and princesses. Make sure to follow the Torah to act in a true, loyal, and royal fashion. The truly important houses come from those who sacrifice for Torah. These are the enduring ones and are prerequisite through the lens of Torah that lead to real, loyal royalty. Any one of us can feel majestic and royal by following the Torah ways and with utilizing the royal garments, such as that of the Talit Katan, the Tzitzis, the Talit Gadol, the Talis, the Tefillin, the Kippah, the Sheidel, the Techel, with dressing and acting in proper and modest ways. Royalty means wearing a crown over your evil inclination, fighting and lording over it. Royalty can be seen in how we act, how we treat others, and how we treat even the items or things in our lives. We should always take great pride in our way of life, in our culture, in our religion, and all aspects of Torah life. Feel proud to be a Jew and be proud to be a loyal royal of Hashem. You can ensure your own house is a mini palace how you take care of your family, house, and the surroundings in line with the Torah way. Royalty with loyalty is not only thinking about ourselves, but taking care of those that are less fortunate, those who are poor or needy, especially at a grandiose event such as the Seder. Remember where real royalty comes from. Only be truly loyal to the one who is the true king, that of Hashem. As we come to the Seder this week, we come to Pesach this week, remember we are true loyalty our true loyalties to Hashem. Remember, we are true royalty. And remember, we have the most dignified, royal, loyal life on this earth compared to everyone else around us. God willing, you should have a wonderful Pesach. God willing, we'll be back in Hashem in two weeks here on the lecture series with Reb T. And I'm your host, Reb T.